This morning's scripture reading is taken from the book of 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. We'd like to read in unison the first three verses of the chapter, verses 1, 2, and 3. That's 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. And as always, in respect to the reading of the Word of God, if you're able to stand once again, I invite you to stand. 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, and reading together. Ready? Begin. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and every one that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's make our prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you might speak to every heart. Lord, as we're in what I consider to be the most holy hour of our week, this first day of the week where we've come to honor and worship and adore you, I pray that you might speak to every heart through your, your spirit, work in the heart of Christians this morning. May we grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. May you use your word to speak to us in a personal way. We'll thank you for it, Lord. I pray for those that are without Christ. We pray for their salvation. Pray now that you would be well honored and glorified, we pray in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. You may be seated. First John 5. Before I forget, before I really begin, I just, I'm just itching to say this because of Pastor Parmar's teaching this, this morning on the doctrine of God. And uh, he deserves all the honor and glory that's God Almighty, of course, and of course that great song we just sang, Holy, Holy, Holy. I was thinking about courtrooms. Uh, I'll get to the message in just a second, but I just want to take a minute. As far as I know, and I'm not trying to hurt anybody in this auditorium right now, and I'm not pointing out anybody, I'm not trying to make you feel, feel bad if you're guilty of this. But as far as I know, there's not a single Dunkin' Donuts coffee in one courtroom in America. There's not water in one courtroom in America unless it's by the judge. I've been in court 30 or 40 times, and I will tell you, no one uses their cell phone in court in regards to nobody's playing games in court. I've seen people get, get by the bouncers, by the bailiffs, rep- reprimanded and rebuked for things that go on regularly in the house of God. I've seen that a number of times. And I'm not mad. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. Some of you got a bottle of water or maybe a coffee this morning. I'm not going to say that to, to discourage you or rather. But I'm just saying, who should get more honor? A judge with a black robe on who makes mistakes or the judge of all the universe who never makes mistakes? Yeah. I think that he deserves our best, and I, I do. And we, we sang that song, Holy, Holy, Holy. And it's interesting because we're looking at First John chapter 5. 1 John 4, verse 7, begins John's hymn of love. We find that word love some 40 times between 1 John 4, 7 and 1 John 5, 5. And he is the God of love, of course, and we'll expound upon that this morning. But he is, before he's the God of love, he is the God of holiness. It's true. And with that said tonight, or this morning here, rather, let's just spend a moment in review. We've looked at four other messages in regards to John's hymn of love. We looked at verses 7 to 14 of chapter 4. We talked about, I know God's love lifted me. From sinking sands, he lifted me. Uh, and we looked at 1 John 4, verses 17 or 14 through 17. 
I know no fear in the day of judgment. Perfect love casts out fear. And then we looked at verses 16 to 21 of the previous chapter. I know as he is, so am I in this present world. Well, I'm already a son of God. You're a son of God if you're saved. And then on Mother's Day three weeks ago, I believe it was now, we preached a message from verses 18 to 21 of chapter 4 entitled, I Know the Love of My Heavenly Father and the Love of My Earthly Mother. And we saw some parallels between the two loves. 1 John 5, 1 through 3, allow me to read the verses once more. Follow along carefully as I read, please. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. I have your, the, today's in your face truth in regards to a key word of this book, as we know, the key word of all the whole five chapters of First John is the key word of no, K-N-O-W. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That word know also has the idea of having confidence. And this book is a book of confidence. And I know God and his love brings confidence. And so I have total confidence this morning you find that word three times in this book, verses, I, won't, I won't read them, but verses chapter 2, verse 28, chapter 3, verse 21, and just glance at chapter 5, verse 14 for a moment, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, there's the key, he heareth us. And so this word confidence, I have total confidence, Philippians 1, 6 says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And so... I have total confidence this morning that those who, here's the key word, abide. Those who abide, another key word of this book of 1 John. That those who abide in Christ will continue to grow and abound unto the perfect day. Hey, Christian, for every one of us, our best days are, none of our best days are behind us. Our best days are all ahead of us. (laughs) Our eternity is ahead of us. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Proverbs 4 and verse 18, the Bible says, But the path of the just, as a shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day, I have confidence, total confidence, that those that abide in Christ will continue to grow and abound unto the perfect day. So I want to give you four things I'm absolutely confident about, thanks to the Word of God, thanks to these three verses of Scripture. Notice with me, first of all, verse number one again, just the first half of the verse, and we'll we'll divide that in three parts. Notice the Bible says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. As a Christian, we are confident that, number one, that we are born of God. Now, the older I get, and I have to be careful here because... Well, your mind could start running. But did you ever wonder if you were the son of your, or the daughter of your earthly father? The older I get, 
the more I'm absolutely convinced, I've been always convinced my whole life, but I'm more than ever before that I am definitely a son of my father. I have his DNA. I have my mother's DNA. Now, I want to talk about my father for a minute. We're coming up to Father's Day. And I don't want to, you see it yourself. You, I don't have to explain it to you. But I'm becoming more and more like my father the older I get. I see it. I know it. I, in my, in my looks, in my mannerisms, in my way of thinking, everything. I got his DNA. I can't help it. I'm born of Martin Schott. I was born of Dorothy Schott. I know for many reasons that uh, they're, they're, they're my parents. But I know, see, I have their DNA. But I want you to know, the Bible says that, that we can be confident that we are born of God. And I want to give you three things. First of all, the Bible says, whosoever believeth. It's a Johannine expression. It's used more by John than all the other writers of Scripture, human writers of Scripture combined. This word, whosoever, this phrase, whosoever believeth. Notice with me, first of all, that we are born of God. Notice the availability of that. Whosoever believeth, John 3, 15 says that, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave. And I don't need to read verse 16 because you know it so well. That whosoever believeth. Nicodemus thought he was in the house of God, the family of God, because he was a Jew, because he was a Pharisee. And Jesus blew his world away and said, no, Nicodemus, you must be born again. I don't care if you're a Jew. I don't care if you're a good Jew. I don't care if you're a Pharisee. I don't care who you are. You must be born of God. And whosoever will. The Bible says in John's gospel, John eleven twenty six, and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? John 12, 26, 46, I am come a light into the world, and whosoever believeth on me should, uh, should not abide in darkness. St. Peter said in Acts chapter 10, verse 43, to him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall have remission of sins or forgiveness of sins. The Bible says in Romans 10, 11, for the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him, that's Jesus Christ, shall not be ashamed. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In Revelation 22 and 20, verse 17, the last chapter of Holy Writ, the last words of the Scripture, the Bible says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is the thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Notice the availability of this born-again experience. We see in 1 John 2, and we've looked at several verses, but just 1 John chapter 2, verse number Two, just glance at it again. And he is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. I don't understand everything there is about election. I know election is true. I don't understand everything about predestination, but I know predestination is true. I know that we have a sovereign God. But I know that the Bible says, whosoever will may come. And by simple childlike faith, I accept that. And I say, I say that availability was for a a poor lost, a poor Gentile Ohio boy at 11 years old in a country church in Ohio that went and unchurched, unsprinkled as a baby, uncatechized and all the rest. I was brought into to church on one Sunday or on a Friday night during a revival meeting and I heard the gospel preached and the preacher said, if you want to come and receive Christ as Savior, you come and I came. 
And to God be all the glory, of course. And so there's the availability of this born of God, whosoever believeth. But then notice what it says, that Jesus is the Christ. Notice the acknowledgement that Jesus is the Christ. Who is Jesus to you? Is he just another religious figure? Is he just uh, the big man in the sky? No, Peter, when Jesus asked his apostles in Matthew 16, who do men say that I am? The apostles retorted, well, some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're Elijah or one of the prophets. But Jesus said, no, I don't care what they say. What do you say? And I paraphrase. And Peter said in Matthew 16, in verse 16, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. This 11-year-old boy, I didn't know much about hardly anything about theology, but I knew that God had a son. His name was Jesus. And I called upon Christ to save me, not even understanding the difference between Jesus and Christ and the names, but I called out and asked Jesus to save me. I, and I believed when I, later on when I found out that he was the Christ, the, the, the anointed one, the one sent from God, the Savior, I believed it then and I, as I believed it when I first received Christ as my Savior. Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation, Peter would go on to say, neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The acknowledgement that Jesus is the Christ. And by the way, the, the uh, acknowledgement that he's the only Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You are not a Christian if you believe that Buddha was a prophet, that Muhammad was a prophet, and Jesus just another prophet. You cannot be a Christian. You've got to forsake all others and receive Jesus alone as the Christ. You see, I know I'm born of God. I'm confident of this because I, have, I see I was part of that availability. Whosoever believeth. I have the acknowledgement that Jesus is the Christ. And I acknowledge that, not only with my lips, but with my heart. But then the Bible goes on to say, 1 John 5, 1, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now, I'm not trying to belabor the point too much, but just to drive it home. You get your earthly father in your head. You get your earthly mother in your head. Are you sure you're their kid? Come on now. I know I'm being a little bit crass. You know, some, some of you in this room have had the privilege of going through an adoption. That's a beautiful story. It's wonderful. But do you know, you say, preacher, I know who my dad was. I have no doubt about it. I know who my mom was or is. So I want to give you even more so. I know that I'm the son of Martin and Dorothy Schott, but I know even more so if it's possible that I'm a son of God, that I'm born of God. I have absolute assurance. You say, no one can know. This whole book is about knowing. This whole book says, this is in your face. Yes, I know. People say, I don't, you can't know that you're a Christian. I know. I know I'm a Christian. I know I've been born again. John 1, 12. But as many as received him. That's what I did as an 11-year-old boy in that country church, in that preacher's back office, when I acknowledged and realized I was a sinner. And I was deserving of hell. And I asked Christ to come into my heart. I didn't know all the, I didn't know about the theanthropic union. I didn't know about the, the trinity of God. I didn't know that Jesus was born of a virgin. I didn't even know at 11 years old what a virgin was. But I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. 
You see, there's the absolute assurance, but as many as received him. Not to those that have all the education and understand everything, but just to receive them, just as I am without one plea. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even in them that believe on his name. Verse 13, which were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, this born again thing, this new birth thing is, is it's available, whosoever will, but it's, it's from an acknowledgement that Jesus is the Christ. But then there's the absolute assurance that, that of being born of God, being born of the new birth. John 3, 3, I've already referenced it. But Jesus said to Nicodemus, and he says to all else, all others as well, verily, verily, I send to thee, you, singular, except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I'll do this quickly here, and just a 30-second history lesson. I'm, not impu- I'm just t- telling you factual history. The Congregationalist Church back in the 1800s, the 1740s through 1790s, they fell into a covenant theology form of belief system that said that certainly we're within the fold because we were born in a Christian family. We were christened or baptized as a baby. We were confirmed and we were welcomed into the church. We must be Christians. And Jonathan Edwards in 1740 or 50, in 1741, he preached his message, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God in Enfield, Connecticut. But in 1750, in Northampton, Massachusetts, that was part of Connecticut at the time, but he, he preached, he had the audacity to say before you take the Lord's Supper, which we'll take of tonight, that you had to be able to give a personal, personal testimonial experience of a new birth in Jesus Christ. And they voted him out of his church by a vote of 276 to 27. And he, you know, he, he lost credibility with everybody and only became the president of the, the College of Princeton University. But he said, you must be born again. You must be saved. And Jesus said to Nicodemus again in John 3, 3, you except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 7, marvel not that I said to thee, ye must be born again. Well, I'm born of God because I've been born again. I've acknowledged him as my savior. I have full assurance. But then I want you to notice the middle part of verse number 1. This confidence that I have, this boastful confidence, not in myself, but in him. I know what it means to be born of God. I have his DNA. But then it says, uh, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And it implied there is, oh, verse number one, excuse me, let me finish. And everyone that loveth him, that begat, loveth him also, that is begotten of him. Everyone that loveth him that is begot or born of him loveth him also that is begotten or born of him or of God or of Christ, in other words. And so we are confident, secondly, that we, that we love God. Now you say, don't let me lose you here, but first of all, how many of you know that, how many of you know by testimony of an amen, you know that God loves you, say amen. amen. Well, we love him, 1 John four nineteen. Why? Because he first loved us. But we know that God is love. We, say, we saw it in chapter 4, verse 8, a text verse we've looked at many times. God is love. Succinct, to the point. Verse 16, God is love, to the point. Back to verse number 9 of chapter 4. And this was manifested the love of God toward us, 
Because that God sent his only, son, only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Romans 5.8 says, but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This love of God. And so this love of God, first of all, that God loves us. I mean, amazing. How can it be that thou, my God, didst die for me? That he would love me. Even though he knew me, he loved me. And so this, this question is not, does God love us? He loves all his children. But the question is, second, that we, or the, the, the affirmation or the confidence is, is that we love God. Now, I already had you give an amen. But do you love God this morning? Now, I have to be careful here. I would like to think I'm speaking to everybody in this room, but that would probably be a stretch. I'd like to think maybe just a handful of people. And I'd like to think maybe there's nobody in this list, but everybody here loves God if you're born again, if you're born of God. Now, if you're not saved, I don't know how else to tell you. This is very harsh, but it's very true. You don't love God. You might love what God might be able to do for you and will do for you or can do for you, or, but you don't love God. But every child of God that's born of him loves him. We've already looked at verse 19, previous chapter. We love him because he first loved us. Psalm 116 verse 1 says it this way, I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. I can come boldly to the, his throne of grace in time of need anytime I want to. I can talk to him. I had a, I'll, I'll keep you in suspense on purpose here, but I talked to a very, very big time preacher yesterday, very big time preacher. Uh, multiplied millions of dollars. Uh, he called me. We're on a first name basis. Big preacher, you might, eventually he might be a, National household name, maybe. Probably not, but he's a big preacher. I'm, I'm not emphasizing. He says, hey, how come you don't ever call me? How come you don't ever see me? I says, and I'm going to pretend his name is John. His name's not John. I says, John, I'm too little for you. You got too many, big, you got too many bigger fish to fry. Uh, I don't want to bother you. He says, you stop it. You come down anytime. You talk to me. You, you, you look me up anytime you're in the area. I want to see you. Well, I won't do it, probably. Because he's got a very mega large ministry. He's got thousands of people to take care of. I just have a couple hundred or so. I won't do it. I can't get an audience with him. I don't want to take his time up. But I can go to the courtroom of the throne of God. And I can talk to him anytime I want to. And he wants me to. How can I not love him? He's there to hear my petitions. He said, come boldly unto my throne of grace in your time of need. God wants to hear from you. That's amazing. God wants to have fellowship with you. Not because you're so wonderful, but because he's so wonderful. He wants to spend time with you. And, but now here's the deal. I know you love God. But how many love God as much as you know you should love God? Oh, me. Not amen, but... Oh, me. That leads me to letter C on the worksheet. When we talk about the love of God, first, 
God loves us. Second, we, love, we do love God. I know that every child of God loves God to a degree of one, sort, one degree or another. But third, that our love, this love of God, that it might increase. You see, Philippians 1.9 says this, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more. I'm not trying to hurt. You know, the problem with most American marriages is the pinnacle, the height, the climax of their love relationship is the day they get married. I'm not trying to be funny or hurtful. And from there, it's all downhill for the rest of the way until it leads in separation. The height is the beginning. Wrong. Now, when you got saved, you fell in love with Jesus Christ and you realized he, he died for you and you, it was a love story. You said, I do, and he did. You became a child of God. But it ought not be the height of our Christianity. It ought to be the beginning, and it ought to get better and better. Sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. Oh, what a love between my Lord and I. I keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over and over again. This love of God ought to increase yet more and more until the perfect day. So we love God. And I can say this humbly and very carefully again. I have my bad days, and you, you veteran Christians, you have your bad days too. There's some days where we don't act like Christians, we don't feel like much of a Christian. You been there? I know you have been, if you're honest. But as I see the course of my life, and I see the course of some other people's lives, and I'd like to pick on some people in this room, but I won't embarrass you. There's some veteran lady Christians in this room. Some veteran men Christians in this room as well. And I've seen your life, your pattern of your life. You got saved 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. And you loved God then. You've had some stumbles along the way, but you love God more now than you did when you first got saved. And that's the way it's supposed to be with all of us. You see, it's supposed to get better. And I'm being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And so I'm confident of this, this, this uh, of being born of God. I know that for a fact, more than I know that I've been born of my parents. I'm confident, and I know it for a fact, that not only does God love me, but I love him. You can't take that away from me, child of God. You can't take that away from you. If you love God, you know you love God. Do we love him like we should? No, there's the dig. There's the rub, if you will. But then we look at these cyclical verses, really, repetitive verses. It's like a revolving door. They keep coming back to each other. Notice what it says again, verse 1, one last time, the last part of the verse. And everyone that loveth him that is born or begot, begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. In other words, they love the children of God or love his children. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. And so we are confident that we love God's children. You see, if you love God's children, you love God. If you love God, you love God's children. It, it's cyclical. It keeps working. It's like a spiral staircase going up and up and up. We, we've revisited this subject several times in this book about loving God and loving our fellow brother, loving one another. 
And so there's three things I want you to consider about our love towards God's children. First of all, we're to love them with a patient love. Let me just spot, highlight Paul's hymn of love, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 says, Charity or love suffers long and is kind. The Bible says, And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you, I heard of another church and I know this church, and I have to, again, be careful here and elusive on purpose, but uh, they, they had to say goodbye to one of their members. I'm not sure. I don't know all the details, so I'm not casting stones, but they said, get away from us. I know this, that God has been very patient with me, and I need to be very patient with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3, 5 that charity or love is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. 1 Corinthians 13, 7, beareth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Folks, we need to love the brethren. Now let me pick on you. Yeah, you, not the person next to you, you. Now as a pastor, if I've been your pastor for a number of years, let me let you in a little secret. I bet you there's been some times where you disappointed me. Yeah. You, you haven't been a good church member. And you, you've done wrong. And let me say it this way. There's some of you in this room that should be spiritually more mature than you are today. Say, preacher, ouch, that hurts. Well, let me hurt a little bit more. Some of you are spiritually stunted. Now, if you come to me and say, preacher, am I one of those Christians? I'm going to lie to you. I'm going to tell you you're wonderful. Because the spirit of the Lord, the servant of the Lord must be meek. Uh, uh, tenderhearted, for, or rather uh, meek. Uh, instructing those that oppose themselves. Your worst enemy that you have, by the way, is not your spouse or your neighbor or your other Christian. The worst enemy you have is yourself when you look in that mirror. And you, could, you should be more than you are. But wait a minute. I should be more than I am. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him that is sin. I am highly accountable with the word of God. To much is given, much shall be required. So when I throw a stone your way, you need to grow up. You need to be more mature. I need to look in my mirror too. And I need to see that and as I thank God for all the patience he's had with me. Aren't you thankful for the patience he's had with you? If he's had that much patience with you, how about we have patience with one with another? Some of you, it's true, you're spiritually stunted in your growth. You should be farther along than you are. But God loves you anyhow. And God loves you, and I love you. God calls us to love one another. So we love with a patient love. We love with a practical love. First John 3, glance at the verse, verse number 11 I'm referring to. A practical love. For this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning, that ye should love one another. Again, in verse number 23 of the same chapter. And this is the commandment that we believe on the name of the Son of Jesus, Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. You'd think that we would have this down already. He tells us over and over again, chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. 
1 John 4, verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Hey, men are to love their wives as Christ also loved the, what? Church and gave himself for it. That's some pretty heavy duty love there. This love, this practical love that Christ gave. The Bible says, no, verse number 12 of chapter 4. Oh man, have seen God at any time. If, any, if we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. This practical love. A poet lady came to an editor and she had a book of poems she, she wanted to get published. And the editor said, well, what's your poems about? And she says, it's all about love. And, she, and uh, he, he said, well, sit down and read a few of them to me. So she started reading, and she started reading about the, the moon and the dunes and the, the lovely lilies of the field and so forth. And after several minutes, the editor stopped her and said, stop. No, thanks. I don't think we need that. We're all set here. That's not love. Love is changing your diaper of your, your, your kids when they need to. Have, your love is for your husband when he, or your, to go to work and to sacrifice for one another. Love is doing. Love is not feeling. Love is action. And don't tell me you love me, but be a doer of the word and not a hearer, only deceiving your own selves. Show that you love. There's a practical love. This idea, and let me launch on people that are not here to hear this, so I'm speaking to the air. How many Christians, I dare say at least hundreds of Christians in, around this area here, that could be in church, in a gospel preaching church somewhere, that are not in church? You know why? Because they're fed up with church because the church is all filled with hypocrites. And so they're, 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 you know, they love God, but they don't love God's church. Because you know, there's no church that's right like they're right with God. Let me tell you what they really are. They're liars. I didn't say it. This book says it over and over again. James says it. No, love is a practical thing. Love is dwelling with people that are, that are imperfect. We've always been, and the, the longer I've pastored, I figured this out a number of years ago, but it, it did take me first several years of pastoring to figure it out. We do not have a great church, per se. We're a church that knows we have a great Savior. We're not, we're not a perfect church. We're far from it. In fact, we're very imperfect. Church is far more like a hospital than a museum. We, as long as we're in ministry, it's going to be messy. God calls us to love one another where we're at. And we need to have patience one towards another because this is a, the confident love that God has towards his children and he tells us to have this love towards his children as well. And so we have a, there's a patient love, a practical love, but then a persistent love. Now I tried it with the 20 or so people that were in 815 service and everybody failed. So I'm going to try. If you were in 815 service, you, you're, you're exempt. You can't participate. How many can quote Hebrews 13, verse 1? Anybody? Yeah, you don't count. Hebrews 13, 1. Okay, we all failed. No problem. I failed. Turn in your Bible. I want you to see it. Ten pages back. Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to learn a verse here. Hebrews 13, verse number 1. Do you got it there? Everybody got it? You ready? Let's read it together. Ready, here, go. Ready, begin. Let brotherly love continue. Look up here. Oh, you're, you're getting pretty good, i got to admit. Let's try it together. Ready? 
Let brotherly love continue. Okay, this is going to be, this is going to be tough for some of you. Turn to the person next to you. Turn to the person next to you. Look to somebody. Look at somebody. Ready? Say the verse. Ready? Here we go. Let brotherly love continue. And all God's people said, amen. amen. <laughs> now, some of you are hating me right about now. We are to love God's children. It's a, it's a patient love. It's a practical love. It's a persistent love. But that leads me to back to 1 John chapter 5, verse number 3 now. This confidence that we have. I have a confidence, verse 1, first part of the verse, that I'm born of God. I have a confidence, verses 1 and 2, that, that God loves me and I love God. Not like I should, I know I'll love him more. I have a confidence, verses, verse 2, that I love his children. And I need to keep on working at that. But then we get to verse number 3. For this is the love of God. Here it is. For this is the love of God. For this is the love of God that we keep his, what? Help me out. Commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. And so I'm confident that we love God's word, his commandments. I'm confident about it. We were down in Virginia last week, as I've said several times already, and there is a Bible on Jonathan Lord just moved into a new house and there was a Bible on the dining room table. And I asked Bradley, my son-in-law, I said, whose Bible is that? We were kind of cleaning up and so forth. He says, well, that's your Bible. I said, he said, well, that's the Bible you gave to my dad. I didn't recognize it. It was an old Bible I gave to my dad. Or gave, gave, excuse me, I gave it to my son-in-law, uh, Jonathan. And so I said, oh, really? He put tabs on it and so forth. And so Bradley opened the front of it. It was a Bible several number of years ago, and I don't say this to boast or break, but in the front cover of the Bible, I had written, I had read my Bible through, and then there was 23 times at that time that I'd read my Bible through from cover to cover. Bradley, my 12-year-old grandson, he says, Grandpa, you read your Bible through 23 times? And I says, oh, yeah. I says, well, Bradley, to be honest with you, I know preachers who read, I know Christians who read their Bible through hundreds of times, and uh, no big deal. And, you know, there's sometimes I read the Word of God. I read it out of duty, it's true. But I don't read the Word of God because I have to. I get to read the Word of God. I, I, I want to read the Word of God. Three things real quickly. You see, to the unsaved, the Bible is an impossible book. It's an impossible book. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. As kind as I can possibly be, but truthful at the same time. If you have no desire for the word of God, you don't know God. If you have no desire to ever be in God's word, you need to go back to first base and find out if you're confidently in the, in, in born of God. You don't love the brethren. You have to go back to first base and say, why don't I love the brethren? Maybe you've never been born of the incorruptible seed of the word of God. Maybe you've never been born again. The unsaved man, he's, the Bible's an impossible book to them. They have no desire for it. But to the immature Christian, the Bible is a burdensome book. The Bible says again in the last part of verse number three, look at it just one more, one more time. It says, and his commandments are not grievous. It's the same word that's used for burdensome. 
the Bible is more than a, uh, to, to the immature Christian, the Bible is a book of don'ts. Don't do this, don't do that. To the child of God, the Bible is a book of cans. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Therefore, if the Spirit of God uh, make you free, you're free indeed. Uh, where the Spirit of liberty, there's, there's freedom. It's a blessed book to the Christian. The maturing Christian, the Bible is a blessed book. Psalm 119.97 says, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Psalm 119, verse 14. I rejoice in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I got a confession to make. Well, let me read the verse again and I'll give you my confession. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. As much as in all riches. I got it. You're going to find out anyhow, so I figure I might as well tell you right here from the pulpit. I have now been to Foxridge Casino. Don't raise your hand if you've been there. I, I kind of prided myself. I've been through Vegas uh, for a night. Never saw the Strip. We stayed one night there, eight, eight, uh, eight hours there, slept and moved on. Never been to Atlantic City. I've drove through it, but never been in one of the casinos. I've now been to Foxwoods. Last week... Was it last week? Two weeks ago. No, it was last week. No, it was two weeks ago. <laughs> we went with brother and sister Phipps down to Groton, Connecticut. You remember Pastor Bill Beck that visited the church a couple weeks ago? We went and visited Bill Beck. I got to tour at 688. We got to tour uh, the Attack Submarine. It was great. And then, brother Phipps, we were driving. We went to, uh, we went to see Bill's church. We went out to lunch. And then uh, he says, he's got this thing for ties. I don't know what it is, but he loves ties. So he Googles one of these expensive stores about ties. And he Googles this place and, uh, and says, okay, it's fine with me. I mean, I go to, I go to J.C. Penney's, you know what I'm saying? You know, $10 ties is good enough for me. But he wanted to go to this fancy tie place. So we GPS it in and it says this store. And so we drive back through the meandering woods. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you don't, but I'm telling you. We're driving through the woods. All of a sudden, boom! This is Foxwoods Casino. Well, they got a mall in there. And I thought, you know, when I, when I realized what was happening, I realized, I said, you know, Brother Phipps, I don't want to go into this place. This is, uh, but I said, you know what? I got liberty in Christ. They got a mall there. And so let's just, he wants his tie. He says, we're here, we're going to go. So we did. Now we walked through. I understand it's the largest casino. I could be wrong, don't quote me. I understand it's the largest casino in America. They got hundreds. We walked through the the slots machines just go and go and go and go and go. I'm telling you, I was just astounded. I mean, the place was humongous. And all these people there, you know, pulling their levers and do, doing their printer game, all trying to become millionaires. Almost every last one of them will go away more broke than they came. They go away more sad. They, they came with a high and they're going to go with a low. But every once in a while, somebody wins the big jackpot. And I love, and some people, they love that gambling. They live for it. The scriptures say to the mature Christian, I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I thought there's nothing here. I didn't spend a penny in that place. We parked for free. I said, I said there's not one thing here. If you give me $10 million today from this place of or let me have my Bible. I'll take my Bible. Amen. I'll take the word of God. I walked out of there a rich man. 
because I am in Christ. You see, to the child of God, I'm confident that the Bible is more than a textbook. It's a love letter. And yes, the Old Testament was written primarily to Israel, but it was written to me. Yes, the New Testament was Galatians was written to the people at Galatia, Philippi, people at Philippi, Philippians rather. But I want you to know every word was written for me. God's love letter to me, it's a blessed book and I love it. Now that leads me to the truth to know here and we're, we're finished this morning. Naturally, what these three verses are teaching us, I believe, is that naturally God loves his own. We're born of him. We're, we're in Christ. And since we love his own, we, we, love, we love what he loves. Our love for him is because of our new nature. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Just as I know that my DNA, that I come from my parents, I know even more so that I come from God Almighty because I have his nature. I can't help it. It's part of me. And it's part of you if you're really a child of God, born, born of his spirit. You got his nature. But here's, here's, again, the rub. Here's the dig. But we must continue. You see, the book of this first John tells us over and over and over again, love God. He loves you. And oh, by the way, love the brethren. A new commandment I give to you. Love the brethren. Love, the, love God. Love the brethren. Love the brethren. Love God. Cyclical, over and over again. Because we must continue to nurture this love towards him and his children. Let me close with a, a, a challenge. Is there a brother or sister in Christ? I, I, I'm going to make an addendum. There are some brothers and sisters in Christ that I... I Frankly, I'll just be blunt with you. I don't want to see until I get to heaven. Just being honest. Uh, unless there's repentance. Unless there's forgiveness. But I wish them the best. I wish their family the best. But I, is there a brother or sister in Christ, maybe a church family here, you say, I have a hard time loving that person. Do you love that person like Christ loves you? Do you love like, you, like you, God, God loves you? We got to work at this nurturing business of loving one another and loving God. Keep on, we've got his nature. It's ingrained in us, but we got to nurture that nature. We got to nurture that and continue to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth and abound more and more in love. And we want to have more love to thee, O Christ, more love to thee, O Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, as the songwriter wrote, Lord, love to thee, O Christ, more love to thee. Hear thou the prayer I make on bended knee. This is my earnest prayer. More love to thee, O Christ, more love to thee. Help us to love you more, we pray. Help us to nurture our love one towards another. You gave us a new commandment that we love one another as we, you have loved us. I pray you bless in our moments of reflection and our moments of nurturing, even our own heart. Through your spirit, we pray and ask that you bless in these moments of reflection and invitation in Christ's name. Amen. As we stand together, page 90 in the hymn.